This episode is brought to you by Evermill. Evermill makes the world's most elegant spice rack that features text-to-refill organic spices in compostable packets, as well as a suite of kitchen products that help you cook so you can focus on sharing meals with the ones you love. This episode is brought to you by Equipped. Equipped is a modern luxury fitness brand that creates stylish, compact, portable, and versatile fitness equipment that will inspire you to move anytime, anywhere, whether you have half a minute or half an hour. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Lee Green, and welcome back to the show. This is episode 150, and today I sat down with Christina Ko, the co-founder and co-CEO of Le Mini Macaron. Le Mini Macaron is a DIY gel manicure and nail care brand delivering salon-quality, long-lasting, French-inspired color to your nails in just 15 minutes. With over 50 shades to choose from, Le Mini Macaron uses cruelty-free, vegan, toxic-free gel formula that is chip-resistant and easy to remove. Christina shares her story from growing up in Alabama to working in advertising in New York City to working in Shanghai for nearly 10 years to starting La Mini Macaron with her then boyfriend. We talk about how her brand went viral on TikTok, the strategy she used to increase sales at Target, and how she's bootstrapped the business without taking any outside capital. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us a review, and check us out on stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Christina. How are you doing today? I'm so excited to hear your story in building Le Mini Macaron. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Hi, Lee. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. All the way from Barcelona, we've made it happen. I think you're the first, like, well, we've had, I think, a founder that is from Barcelona, but she lives in Miami, the founder of Touchland. Andrea Lisbona. Yes. We met in Barcelona. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. And so she's wonderful. And I know she's from Barcelona, but you are actually there right now. And that's different. So welcome to the show and um, excited to have you. Are you from Barcelona originally? No, I'm from Alabama, probably the other side. That's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. From, I know everybody is always very surprised when I tell them, but I'm from Alabama originally. My parents are Taiwanese, so I'm Taiwanese American. And I grew up in the US and then I've been living overseas for 15 years. I lived in Shanghai for 10 years before coming to Europe. So yeah. So what was childhood like growing up in Alabama? It was very interesting. I would say I grew up in an area that, you know, was very homogenous. Actually, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama, a suburb of Birmingham. And yeah, it was pretty interesting because I think in the past couple of years, I've been doing some interviews like with API and, you know, talking about my heritage. And I tell people, yeah, when I was growing up in Alabama, it was like pretty homogenous. There weren't that many people like me. There wasn't that much diversity where I was coming from. So it was a unique experience. I would say, Probably when I was a child, I was really interested in assimilating, you know, like I didn't want to be different. But then when I moved to New York, which is a melting pot and so diverse, and I worked in advertising on the agency side, which is very, very diverse and very creative and many types of profiles, I started to embrace more my heritage and, you know, my story. And then I moved to Shanghai and so I really started to embrace my parents' background and understanding where they came from, why they moved our family's journey, you know, the journey of both sides of my parents, and really starting to understand my own heritage and what it means to be Chinese American. So yeah, I would say I I probably came a bit full circle from Alabama to New York to Shanghai. 
Great. And so let's take it back a little bit more with childhood. What did you want to be when you grew up? Like, what kind of kid were you? Were you very entrepreneurial looking back? Oh, no. No, not at all. My parents were entrepreneurial. They had restaurants and shops. My mom sold Mary Kay for a while. Oh, wow. You would think that that would, yeah, you would think that that would be a preview of me going into the beauty industry. Did you get all the samples? Yeah, I'm sure you got all the samples at home totally. and tried them on. My mom did Absolutely. Avon, so I got the samples too. Yeah, you know how it is. I was yeah. like eight years old or yeah. 10 years old using like buffing cream in the shower. Like my skin, I didn't need any buffing cream. I was using like all, all the bubble like bath. Yeah, totally, totally. We had like the whole... Absolutely. We actually, it was so funny. She had a caddy with nail color and care. And so we would like do full on manicures. It's really funny to think about it now because I'm in the nail business, but we would do full on manicures. Like when I was, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. Did you always love your nails or like doing nails? Like was there something from, you know, that time that you look back or is it just coincidental? It's coincidental. I was never like super passionate about manicures and doing nails. I liked having my manicures done. And when I was living in New York and like working for agencies and, you know, everyone had to be really quite dressed up. I liked having manicures, but it wasn't something, you know, I wasn't someone who was always going to the salon and getting acrylics, for example. But yeah, I liked having polished nails for sure. Yeah, it becomes a thing, I guess, in, in some industries where you're all dressed up and everybody, you know, like, oh, God, people actually look at your nails. Okay, got to get that. Totally. Going. Totally. So you worked in advertising. You lived in Shanghai for many years. What brought you to Shanghai? So I graduated college in New York, and then I started working in advertising. I was there for about five years at different agencies. It was super creative, and I was learning about marketing and making ad campaigns. And But to be honest, getting a bit tired of, I would say, the rat race of New York. You know, like when you're young... It's super fun, right? Like everyone's young and working and you're going out and making friends and it's very dynamic to live there. But I had always loved to travel. And in college, I studied abroad three times. So after high school, I studied abroad in Salamanca, Spain. During college, I studied abroad in Taipei, Taiwan. And then after I graduated, I went to Nice, France. So I had three experiences over the summer. Love them. Like you know, improve my language skills. I had studied French and Spanish since I was about 12 and 13 years old. So I had this base with the language, loved traveling, loved these different cultures. But my time in New York during 10 years, I realized, hey, I'm not really traveling because I was in the bubble of Manhattan, working, making money, but spending money. And travel was quite far. If I wanted to go international, like Europe is quite far, Asia is far. I was just going to like, Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic for my trips. And I miss that. I miss being able to go, you know, and I I realized I didn't have enough money to do it because, you know, life in Manhattan was really expensive. And so I just decided, hey, I'm tired of the rat race and I really want something really different. And a couple of friends told me, hey, go check out Shanghai. It's booming. You speak Chinese. You'll be able to easily get a job there, which was very naive. But I did like book a trip and I did a week of kind of soft interviews and miraculously someone offered me a job also in an agency, but it was doing events. Really, when I think about it now, it was pretty incredible that that happened because I did meet a lot of people who said, hey, you're not senior enough to come out to Shanghai and let's say get an expat package, right? Like I was 28 at the time. You need to go back and put in three more years, get promoted and then come back out you'll get a more senior position. You're not living in China yet. No one's really going to hire you because they really want to see that you're already on the ground here and that you've built a life that you actually want to be here, right? But I got really lucky and through some contacts, got in touch with the CEO of TBWA in China, which is one of the big global agencies. And they were opening up an events team department. And it was actually a French team that they, you know, a department that they had acquired and they were opening up in China, almost like a startup, right? It was like a new sub company. They were trying to hire people, um, develop business, get new clients, and they were working in luxury and fashion and beauty. So it was super cool because I came back from that trip and told all my friends, 
I'm moving to Shanghai. I'm going to work for a French agency. And, you know, maybe one day they're going to move me to France <laughs> and I'll be able to like go work in France and I can practice my French. But it was really cool. And I went out there with that job and stayed with them for about three years. And it was amazing. It was part of a big group. So I had a little bit of the structure of corporate, but that team was so new that it was like a startup. Like I always say, it's like the wild, wild east. I mean, it was like Shanghai back in 2007. A lot of adventures starting up something and having to work in Chinese for the first time, which I spoke Chinese at home with my family. But to suddenly like speak to clients in Chinese, that was really, yeah, opened myself up into new experiences. That's awesome. So how long were you there? What was it like? How was that job? How did it turn out? And what did you do next? So I lived in Shanghai for a total of 10 years. And I stayed with this agency doing events for about three years. It was fun. It was great. Very international team. A lot of people from around Asia, like Hong Kong, Singapore, Shanghai, Beijing. A lot of French people, Spanish, Italian. It was really diverse. And I really, it really fed me, you know, that diversity. And yeah, I worked with them for three years. It was a really great entry point to kicking off my life in Shanghai. And then after that time, I was itching to do something else and itching to do something a bit more challenging. I thought I could go into the path of marketing, like become a marketing director or go into PR. I was looking at those options, but when I was interviewing with companies, it didn't inspire any passion in me. I just thought to myself, I don't think I want to go down this path of being a marketing director, you know, in Shanghai for a brand. It didn't fuel me in the way that I was looking for. So at this point, I actually did some self-reflection and thought, I think I want to open a restaurant or a bar. I love going out. So I thought, hey, that could be really cool. My parents had restaurants before. Let me go work in this industry. And so there was an Australian chef who was a celebrity chef based in Shanghai. He had 10 restaurants. He was doing a lot of media and TV shows and interviews and consulting. So through some contacts, I just got in touch with him. They weren't expecting to bring in someone like me into their restaurant group because they were all sort of F&B operators. And I was really coming from a marketing background. I'm like more of a, I would say, a structured marketing background. But we interviewed like several times and he was like, okay, he said to me, Christina, we're going to look at this interview process like courting. We're going to get to know each other and see if we fit and see if this could work. And we had three different meetings where he and his partner, they really got to know me, my different, you know, aspects of my background. And they were able to bring me in. You know, they hadn't really had a profile like me in their company. It was a lot of people who were like, restaurant managers and people on the floor, they didn't really have someone coming from agency or corporate. So it was pretty cool. Like I went into this group, you know, they had 10 restaurants, they had hotels and I was, you know, they had different concepts and I loved it. It was like really the thing that was inspiring me for a couple of years, you know, trying to help them. So I oversaw marketing for the 10 restaurants. I also oversaw marketing and development for his personal brand as a celebrity chef, helped him with all his PR, all his speaking opportunities, interviews. We developed a TV show together, a cooking show. And I also helped him with his catering business and his consulting business. So it was really cool. Like I came from a pretty structured background and then started working for someone who was, you know, he'd always been in the kitchen. Like he'd been a chef since he's 16, like a cook, you know? So working for someone like this, like totally not you know, didn't go to college, the whole path of all the people that I know, which is, you know, going to college for four years, getting that job, and then climbing the corporate ladder. This was not someone like that. This was someone who, you know, had moved out when he was really young, traveled all over working as a chef. And I was learning, I would say, really on the fly business lessons, just by watching how he would operate, how he would negotiate, how he would really try to create these like win-win situations for himself and all these different opportunities that he wanted to do. So it was a really good entry point into entrepreneurship, I would say, is like working as I was like his marketing right hand. And yeah, just helping him with whatever he needed when it came to 
his profile, his businesses, and you know, bouncing ideas and helping him develop those sides. So I did that for three years. And it was so cool. Like we traveled to different places to help. He would do like guest chef opportunities and I would go with him and some of the team from like his kitchen team and, and, you know, organize interviews with media for him. And so I did that for three years and then felt, okay, I think that's right. I'm ready for something else. After working, you know, in an operational food and beverage business, I realized to myself, I don't think I can do this. Like it's a very, very hard business to scale you need to be like, you need quality of food and quality of service. And those are two things you need to bring every single day, every single meal consistently. And that is, you know, and you're working with staff that are oftentimes transitional staff, right? Like you have your more senior people who are supervising and they stay with you, but the staff who are entry or, you know, sometimes it's like minimum wage staff, they have other things that they're doing. They come, they go. It's really hard, right? So at the end of the three years, I was thinking to myself, I don't know if I want to open a restaurant or a bar anymore after having worked in it and seeing what it really takes to do that. And they were doing it at a really good level. And I didn't know about their profitability and, and that, but I knew that they had a lot of challenges. And I think profitability was one of them, you know, and really trying to grow those businesses was very, very hard. So I said to myself, I don't think I want to pursue this path for me. And I wasn't thinking of opening a business per se, but I was curious about maybe one day having a bar, but I didn't know anything about P&L or the financial side. I really knew more about the marketing and the sales, but much less about you know any of the financials or even operational. You know, I didn't have that much exposure to it. But I saw how difficult it was. And I thought, okay, I don't think this will be the path for me. And at that point, I decided I was going to work with them half time, which I thought was, you know, I don't know how this came to me. But I think like for people who are maybe at a transition point in their lives, and they want to do something different, or they want to start a business. I do tell people when they ask me, it's really great to, you know, don't just quit your job totally. But maybe you go half time. Like if you're working somewhere where they know you and they need you, it's a really good idea to say, hey, I think I want to change things, but let me stay with you half time. And, you know, then you, you still have some income. You have people who know you and trust you and they need you. And it gives you that space and freedom to try to explore what you want. Yeah, like a transition period almost, you know, it's yeah. like you're buying yourself some transition time for you and the company that you're working for to kind of find someone to fill your spot, to let you make some money while you're working on your side hustle. That's really good advice. Yeah. Yeah, It's a really good win-win, right? Because you may not know what you want to do yet. You need to keep paying those bills. You know, I think sometimes people get really excited and they just want to like quit everything and jump into the new thing. Yeah. I think because also they think it's going to happen a lot faster than it does. So they think that, totally. oh, I'm going to just totally. jump on this idea. And if I'm full time, it's going to be done in like two weeks. And you're like, well, not really, actually. There's a lot of things that go wrong in between. And there's a lot of other things. So yeah, I think that the excitement, the naivety, which is bliss and amazing and harness yes. that power. But at the same time, yeah, there's a lot of surprises down the road. It's a lot longer than you think. Absolutely. I think when I first started doing this business, I thought, okay, a year, we'll make some money and this thing is going to take off. And then after a couple of years, I was like, I think five years is the mark. It's and the then it's like, actually 10 yeah. is probably what everybody else is like, you know, it's the 10 year success story. And does everybody thinks happens right. overnight. <laughs> yeah. It's like, are you still here at 10 years? Okay. Right. <laughs> you right. haven't, you know, disappeared. So right. yeah, totally. And we're at the 10 year mark now. Wow. This Congrats. is the 10 year mark. August. Thank you. August, 2023 will, will be when we kicked off the business 10 years ago. So how did you come up with the idea? You've got to tell us, how did you come up with the idea for your company? Where were you? What was the aha moment? So I was on a beach in the Philippines with my ex-boyfriend, who's my business partner. <laughs> and I was flipping through a magazine and it was 2013. And I said to him, hey, nail art is really popular. And there's these nail art kits. And, and you know, look at all these designs. 
And then he said to me, we should make nail art kits. <laughs> and he was coming from a beauty background. I didn't come from beauty. So a lot of people think that I came from the industry, but it was more him. And it started like that. He was like, let's make these products. And I was in my one year semi-sabbatical working half time for my previous job, but the other half of the time trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And so we embarked on this project to design and produce these new products, nail art sets. This was back at the end of 2013 and the beginning of 2014. Before the Mini Macron, our brand today, we had another brand. And so we made all these products, but we didn't know anything about where do you sell it? What is sell through? What about repeat purchase? What's a brand with different SKUs? I didn't know what an SKU was at that time. Pricing, we totally like the pricing strategy was really off on the products that we made. So we learned all of these things over the next kind of 18 months. And then we did another brand for a while. So everything was related to nails, nail products, nail art, gel manicure, gel polish. So we had our second brand that we worked on for a bit. Also, I think the second brand was a bit more functional, but we didn't have all the storytelling and the brand development. And then we landed on Le Mini Macaron. So Le Mini Macaron started in January 2015 on a Kickstarter, actually. We did three Kickstarter campaigns in the first 18 months. And yeah, I mean, it's funny when you think about starting a brand back in those days, because just different times, right? Like, Different times, you know, even 2015 versus 2018 versus now, if you start a beauty brand, what the landscape looks like and the path to kicking it off. So back then it was Kickstarter. It was getting all your friends to, you know, try to buy a product to reach the goal so that you would get the money. So we did that and it was good. I think, you know, that initial wave of people who bought into the brand and the products were the first base of people that we started an e-commerce website with. And so that was like May, 2015, we started our website. We had like, I don't know, seven SKUs, seven products. And during this time, we just developed more. So in the early days, we were mostly looking for international distribution because we were living in Shanghai. We weren't, I mean, back in 2015, I don't think we were so focused on e-com you know, it was like a really different time. And I wasn't in the US. So I wasn't looking at Amazon. I wasn't looking at e-com so closely. We were in China. We thought, let's go to some trade exhibitions. Let's have a booth, get in front of people. And people from different countries will buy containers of our product. You know, we will ship shipping containers to them and they can just sell in different markets. And so the approach with the brand was not so much a brand. Like it was a brand in the sense that it looked like a brand and I come from marketing. So we were doing storytelling, but it wasn't how people normally start. I would say like, I don't know. In, in the US, you have people who have an idea. They start with D to C. They need to go find people to help them manufacture. You know, we were in China. So we actually, supply chain was very easy for us. Like we both speak Chinese. My partner's French, but he speaks Chinese. So actually supply chain, production, logistics are all his cup of tea. Like he was doing that before and he came from beauty wholesale. So product development, how to negotiate, like he was doing all of that. So we had manufacturing down. That wasn't an issue for us, which I think for most founders who don't come from, you know, you don't know the back end of it. Maybe you have an idea, but then you really have to figure out how do I do tooling? How do I, yeah, you know, find my partners and they have... Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things that if you don't know, like, you know, minimum order quantities, right? A factory wants you to order 3000 pieces. You're like, where am I going to sell that? But we came from that side of it. So we thought, okay, of course, it's going to be 3000 pieces. So how do we manage this? And where is it going to go? So yeah, in the early years, we did a little bit, we did some Kickstarter. We did a little bit e-com, but it's very little. And mostly looking for distributors in different countries. And so opened up some markets with partners and some of these partners are still with us today. So they really believed in us and, you know, brought the brand into certain countries that it still has been. I mean, yeah, it's like 2023 now. So, I mean, some of these people have been with us like six years. It's amazing. And yeah, so our brand probably was present in international markets 
with more of a presence than it was in the US when we first launched it because we were overseas. A lot of our partners were overseas. And we also were doing stuff in China. So we were like working with Sephora China, other retailers in China. So we had like all of that sort of experience, which, you know, China has changed so much just in the last five years that I think about it now. I thought China is such a massive country. It's like, what were we doing, you know, trying to do a little bit of this and that. And yeah, so in those early years, we were looking for international distribution. We were flying around the world a lot. You know, we have a distributor sister company in France that opened Sephora France. So that was really great because right off the bat, we were in Sephora, gave us a lot of visibility, awareness and sales, which was really important. So started, you know, the brand with a good foundational market, but it was in French. And that gave a lot of credibility, you know, to be in Sephora and to be able to say, hey, we're selling there. And then over the next couple of years, we started with like Ulta.com in the US. I went on QVC a couple of times. So that was very, very challenging. And like, personally, it was a nice um, achievement, I would say, to go on air with QVC. But we were international, so we would do some of the stuff in the U.S., but we were focused, you know, a bit here, a bit there, and really developing Europe. And then I would say since 2018 and 19, we were really focused on developing Europe, especially in the U.K. and Southern Europe, and continue with international distribution. But with COVID, things changed a lot, actually. So being a nail product and specifically doing gel manicures at home, a kit that you can do, you know, paint your gel polish without having to go to the salon. COVID changed everything because people who were stuck at home and had no access to going to the salon, everybody was looking for this product. And it was so unexpected. Like we were, you know, it just, it really flipped things because I think before you had a lot of people who were going to the salons. We had our group of people that were buying our products, but the behavior shifted so much. Like during the like 2020 to 2022, people were specifically needing to find a solution to do gel and to do nail care at home. So we had the right product at this time. So we were selling out like April, 2020, we completely went on a stock in all of our warehouses, you know, and then like our production was like, with logistics delays and production delays, it was crazy. Like we couldn't get restocked, you know, for two or three months. And then finally, by summer of 2020, we restocked. And things were just like selling like hotcakes. And then, you know, we thought, okay, the end of the year, let's just ramp up because it's the holiday season. It's our number one season. You know, we have holiday gifting, which is always like so good for us. And then we thought in 2021, like business would go down, you know, like the world would kind of return back to normal. We'd acquired a whole bunch of customers, but that it wouldn't be as intense, you know, in selling so well. But 2021 was really good. So our US business has doubled year over year since 2020. And it's just been amazing. Like we've gotten so much interest and, you know, seeing this behavior change, this behavior shift in the last two years where people got used to doing stuff at home and because of wellness and self-care, they actually, there's a whole bunch of people that now prefer to do it at home. Right. Instead of going into the salon. Yeah, they got used so to it. Now they're cool. like, oh, this is convenient. I don't have to wait in line. I don't have to try to call ahead. I can just go and do it in the comfort of my own home. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. When was the last time you looked in your spice drawer? If you're like me, you probably have to look at it every time you cook, which is a lot. And it looks like a complete disaster. Different size seasonings, different brands, it's a mess and totally uninspiring. That's until I discovered Evermill, the most beautiful and inspiring spice rack I've ever seen. And it looks gorgeous both on your countertop for everyone to see and compliment, or it looks great in your spice drawer too. Not to mention, they send you refills in compostable packets that you can get to delivered straight to your door simply by sending a text message. So if you're looking for an amazing gift idea, you have to check it out. They also just released two new products, a white marble salt well and an aluminum pepper mill, perfect for the person who you think has everything. You can get 15% off by using the promo code stairway15 on evermill.com. That's 15% off site-wide for the first time ever using the code stairway15 
at evermill.com. Do you struggle to find time to go to the gym or even just work out at home somehow? What about the ugly weights you're probably hiding in your closet or under your bed? Out of sight, out of mind. Am I right? Meet Equipped, a female-founded luxury fitness brand with a no-pressure approach to movement that creates gorgeous weights that look so good, you can place their U-shaped weight called the U-bar on your coffee table and your friends will probably think it's a new art piece. Or if you're on the go, just throw on their U-wrap super stylish vegan leather ankle weights so that you can get a little workout in while running your errands in style. Featured in everything from Vogue to the Financial Times, Equipped makes it easier to move through life. And if you're looking for a great gift idea this holiday season, you can get 20% off on EquippedMovement.com using the promo code STAIRWAY20. That's 20% off luxury fitness equipment using the code STAIRWAY20 on EquippedMovement.com. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. Can you kind of talk a little bit about your unique product? It is very unique. So why don't we talk about it? Obviously, it's a podcast, so we've got to, you know, let them hear what it's like, but maybe you can help describe your product. Sure. So our hero product is a gel manicure kit and it's a mini size gel manicure kit. So gel polish is a polymer. So it dries with an LED light or UV light. So our little lamp is LED. So it's faster and safer. And it is in the shape of a French macaron. So that's why our brand is called the mini macaron because we have a little LED light. You put your finger inside. It dries your polish in 30 seconds. And it's a, yeah, you have it there. I have it right here. It's so cool. It's for one finger at a time, which is so great because, you know, it's always so weird when you put your whole hand in one of those things. Yeah. At the salon. And it's like, I don't need to fry my entire hand. You know, I I prefer just to get the nail. (laughs) So, and it's so small and cute and it fits so easily, you know, in your bathroom or wherever you keep your nail stuff. But go on. I just wanted to bring it out because I yeah. think it's very cute. Yeah, it's really portable and it has a little USB so you can plug it to your laptop or like a battery charger and take it with you on the go. So it's really good for travel. It's really good when you're running around and you can touch up your nails. And then our polish is one step. So every bottle has base, color, and top coat in one little bottle. And you just need to paint, you know, two layers. So you paint and cure for 30 seconds, repeat, and then you're done. So it's really easy to use. I would say, you know, back in the day, like you said, people knew about gel because you had those big lamps. You could do it at the salon. You could buy a big system and do it at home, but it looked pretty daunting because it was like this huge lamp. You had like many products because base coat, color, top coat, it's all separate. You needed to like, it was sticky after you were done. So you have to like wipe it down. There were all these steps that make it feel quite daunting and pretty advanced. But we wanted to make it super easy. Like for me, you know, having polished nail, like (laughs) I always say that having my nails polished and feeling polished, like it doesn't have to be a splurge or just for a special occasion. I really wanted to make it accessible, you know, for anyone who just wants to paint your nails. And it's such a pick me up. Like when I see that my nails are done, I feel more put together and more polished, you know? So I wanted to make that available to everyone. And I think we've done that with this product. Like it really just makes it really affordable to do your gels at home. Also easy to remove. So all of our little kits have 10 remover wraps. So it's like in the salon where you soak it off, but ours are these little kind of portable remover wraps, one-time use, you know, so you put your finger in, it removes in 15 minutes and then you're good to go, right? So, and then the one-step gel, because it's not, you know, you're not doing it at the salon where they're filing down your nails. Right. It's very easy to take off. Yeah, I hate when they file down your nail. I mean, it makes your nail so thin. It takes forever to recover, if ever, to get the thickness back in your nail when they file it down so much. Mm -hmm. I hate when they do that. And they're like, no, no, we have to do it. Otherwise, it'll come off, you know? And you're like, great. Okay, let's just keep filing down my natural nail. It's horrible. The one step piece is amazing because it's like, why is there so many coats? It's exhausting. It takes so much time when you're sitting there and then taking them off. Like you said, they either chip off a little bit, which you always have to get them removed. And I don't think guys, if they're listening, know when you go and get these removed, they put these like big, they soak your finger in nail polish remover with like a cotton swab on top of your nail. And Mm -hmm. then they wrap your finger in foil 
to suffocate it Mm -hmm. and keep it soaked for minutes at a time. So your fingers are just like these little fingertips of foil with soaking in, you know, acetone. Yeah. Like it's totally crazy. Yeah. It's really time consuming. And I think because when you go to the salon, the idea is you want it to last because you're paying a lot of money for that gel manicure at the salon. So they're trying to get it to last for you for four to five weeks. But to make it last that long, you have to file down the nail. Like then it's really sticking to your nail. One step is very light, you know, so you file as much as you want. You control it, like you said, Lee. And it's just when you're ready to remove, it's easier to remove. It's going to remove, you know, and I mean, our one step is meant to last if you want it for 10 days, if you want it for two weeks. But if you want to change it after a week, it is very easy to take off. Right. I mean, no one needs it more than what, two weeks because your nail grows and there's a gap at the top. So you just need to totally like your nails are going to grow anyways. You don't need to keep it on for more than a week or two. So that's interesting. So, I mean, amazing product. I think we met at FounderMade, the discovery show in LA. That's how I discovered you and the brand. And I thought it was so cool. I love what you guys are doing. I'm one of those people that, you know, I really don't like getting my nails done. I always, it's not a comfortable experience for me. I don't like taking time to go into the salon and get them done. So being able to do something at home where it feels just so less invasive and a lot more healthier for the nail. I wanted to have you on the show to share your story, but I know that you guys are in Target. We can talk about some retail strategy. You've kind of, we've talked about a bunch of the stores you guys are in, but I'd also love to chat about how you guys went viral on TikTok. TikTok is a you know really big topic for brands. Everybody's trying to figure it out. I'd love to hear you know your story, how you you know some of the viral TikTok stories that have happened, how that happened, what you learned, and what advice you have for brands trying to figure TikTok out. Sure. I mean, that's a big question I get a lot because we have had probably over 20 viral videos on TikTok in the last 18 months. And by viral, what kind of numbers are we talking like? Yeah. So viral, I would say over 500,000, but we've had some videos at 7 million. Our biggest video was 24 million impressions. And yeah, I mean, that is really viral. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's really amazing. Like sometimes I look at these videos. And I really think we have such an amazing group of creators that work with us and they're just so good at knowing. How did you find these creators though? Like, did you find them yourself? Did you hire an agency? Did you use a platform? Like, how did you discover these amazing creators? So we do it ourselves. And, you know, we tested with an influencer agency, I think last summer to just broaden a bit how we were doing it. Like we started, so when we launched in Target a year and a half ago, it was Q4 of 2021. And, you know, going into Target, I was really worried about having sell-through success. You know, I don't want to launch into this big retailer where, you know, there's a big commitment. They give you this opportunity. It's a lot of inventory. And if it doesn't work, you could lose your space. And what are you going to do with all this inventory and this opportunity that you've you know, lost? So I was very, very, I would say almost paranoid when we went in that we could see success, sales success, you know, coming out of the gate. And one of the things that we briefed on with our marketing team was we really wanted to get into TikTok. I know that there are influencers, and I would say this is probably the secret to our success, is there are influencers and creators who specifically go to Target or Sephora or Ulta, and they do haul videos. So this was happening a lot on YouTube back in the day, but now they kind of, they do it on Instagram and TikTok. But haul videos are where they go and they buy, maybe they buy like one thing or they buy five things, but they show you their haul. And they talk about the products and then their people follow them because they specifically want to know what to buy next, like what's new, what they should be buying. So our team looked for Target, you know, people who are had Target accounts, like, you know, their handles say Target, and then they are going in and checking out, you know, either they focus on beauty products or maybe they, you know, look at, I don't know, just any kind of lifestyle item or beauty and fashion. And then they're just like showing you the latest thing. So we were looking for this profile of creators. So we, I don't know how many we had when we launched, but maybe eight to 10 people that we briefed to go into Target, 
Target's so famous with their logo and that parking lot shot. So we were like, please film from the parking lot, like hold up the, our product in front of the Target sign, say like, I'm going to Target. And then I found this product and then show our shelf and then, you know, go home, like show that you're buying the product, go home and then, you know, paint your nails and unbox the product and paint the manicure and show the result. So we had a number of the Target type creator that was doing this. But then we also work with a lot of nail influencers because we're nail. So that's our category. We work with a lot of mostly girls, but there's some boys who are, you know, they're showing you what's new, what's next in nail. And they're always painting their manis. And, you know, they're the ones that the media are following to find out what the next trends are in nail. And so we briefed this group as well to do the same video going into Target. And it was a mix. Like some of the Target people went viral, but some of our nail people also went viral. And then we told everyone, please tag Target so that their social team sees it. And then Target reposted one of them. So that was great because it was just sort of this nice happy mix, <laughs> this magic that happened. Because when Target reposted it, you know, who's following the Target page? Well, people who want to buy stuff at Target, right? So them reposting it just gave that viral video extra life because then that video that they posted on their TikTok page became the biggest video, like the most impressions of any video that they had ever posted. So it was like 5.4 million impressions, biggest video to date you know, when it went live and the gift that kept on giving, like it just like those impressions translated into like people walking to target, like the product was selling out. They were asking the staff, where's this gel manicure kit? We brought in the traffic, we brought in the sales and we were able to tell our retail partner, like we told target, but also other retail partners, like we're able to drive in that Gen Z traffic and they're converting, you know? So that was great learning Thank you. Like that was amazing. Our team was so magical. Like it was great learning. We were seeing, you know, and then week after week, there were more successes. And then like six months later, you know, we knew kind of how to brief creators because we knew, you know, our product is pretty eye-catching because it's a nail product. There's a little device. So the thumb stopping power, that's what you want on TikTok is like the thumb stopper, the scroll stopper. As people are tapping, you want something that's going to catch their eye and make them want to watch the video. So the visual of our device, our product does have that, but then, you know, the rest of it has to work, right? They have to like want to watch the rest of it. So the creators really are doing such a good job at the storytelling and highlighting the product benefits and the selling points. And then our team, you know, our account was pretty small and it's a lot to try to build your own TikTok account, have videos on your own page that go viral. I know a lot of brands try to do that. And we were struggling as well. We we're like, okay, to do it ourselves is pretty hard. Let's just rely on creators who already have the big community. And they, you know, probably it's more likely they're going to go viral before like us going viral. But like I would say six months ago, last season, holiday season, our team started to nail it, you know, so to speak. Like they were able to, yeah, like our team started to really be able to create that kind of content that was going viral on our page. What did you find was working when you say would go viral on your page? When you guys were kind of working on your own page, what worked and what didn't work? Like, what do you think works the best for brands? Yeah. So I think, I mean, in terms of beauty, you know, you want to, I mean, I think it's pretty classic in terms of marketing, but you want to show like problem solution, right? So we do have a lot of videos on our page that we're, we're featuring the mini kit. So our mini gel manicure kit is the Herior product. We show you what it is. And then we show you the solution, which is you can do it at home. And also we show you the results. So with beauty, you want to show, you know, we're nails. So we want to show the gorgeous, shiny manicure, that rich color. If it's a red or if it's a deep burgundy, we want to show the color payoff. And then just even how you shoot it, our team's gotten really good at the angles. You want that shine to be up front and center. You don't want the nail to look recessive. You don't want it to be blurry. So, you know, shooting something that's really high def, that's close up, that the color payoff is there, the shine payoff, but you've built in the problem solution. I would say those are pretty good basics to follow when it comes to doing beauty, you know, on TikTok. So yeah, our team, you know, has been, and I would say the other thing is like trending colors. So as a color brand, we definitely follow 
all the things that indicate to us where the trends are going. So it could be the fashion weeks. It could be the Pantone color of the year, Pinterest color trends. Like there's a lot of things you can kind of look at to see where the next six months of color are going to be. Obviously our production, our product development timelines are a bit longer than that. So you do need to really have that foresight. Our creative team is phenomenal. Our creative director is phenomenal identifying color trends. I think she just hasn't missed in the last three years. Like she doesn't miss when it comes to our color launches. And then our marketing team has really been such a good partner, you know, with our creative team and NPD team to look at the results of our launches and feed all that data, you know, and that consumer feedback back into more upcoming launches. So we have this sort of loop that's going with our team that's working pretty well. But yeah, looking at color trends, you know, and making sure you're launching things that are going to be trending. The viral TikTok video that I mentioned that was 24 million impressions. It was someone who was actually doing her manicure in the car, which was genius. So she was sitting passenger side, painting her manicure while someone else was driving. And everybody was like, oh my God, you're doing your mani in the car. She plugged the USB of our lamp into the USB port of her car. And then she was like painting her nails, doing nail art. And she featured our smoky matcha shade. So it's like a matcha green. And that shade ended up going into our top five sellers at Target. So it was a shade we had at Target. And, you know, we had this like hugely viral video. And whereas before our best sellers, like there wasn't a single shade that was a bestseller. Like our kits were bestsellers, like the machines were bestsellers. But that single shade just emerged in our top five bestsellers because it was featured in this video. And also because it was such a trending shade for that six month, you know, nine month period, it was hot, like green, especially that particular kind of smoky green was really, really hot. And it's amazing because when you have a couple of elements that work together and come together, you know, and you have a team that kind of starts to know what they're doing and really the magic can happen. That's awesome. So, you know, you've had so much success. It sounds like things have been going so great, but, you know, you've been in business for 10 years. So I know some shit has hit the fan. How about we talk about some times where things got really rough and maybe there was a moment where you thought, what am I doing? Why am I even doing this anymore? Or you maybe almost gave up. You know, I think that every founder deals with a lot of doubt. And so I'd love to hear, you know, a story where you had to get back off the ground, you know, pick yourself back up. Yeah. You know, I would say, like I mentioned before, and everyone's always very curious about this. My partner is my ex-boyfriend and we've been in business. I think we dated for six months and then we started working together. So I know him mostly as my business partner because we've always had that relationship. And, you know, I have friends that ask me, Hey, I want to start a business with my husband. What do you think? I'm like, you know, (laughs) I don't know if I recommend that. Like tread lightly, like think really carefully about this because you know, any partnership, you know, even any working relationship, you have ones that can be working really well together, but then you can also have ones where you're very different. You're very different in terms of personalities. We have cultural differences. You know, he's French, I'm American. We were working in China. So that definitely fed into it. We had some really hard moments and we're exes, right? So we broke up, our relationship didn't make it. And I think we understand that it's not just because of the business, but it's also just fundamentally, you know, very different. But we have such respect for each other and we'll always consider each other, you know, not only business partners, but also family and we have each other's backs. But I have to say it is very, very hard. And, you know, founder relationships, it really matters who you're, you know, partnering with because that's the person you're riding those ups and downs with to see, you know, and it depends on what you want to do. If you want to, you know, get investors or if you, you know, want to do this business for 30 years, you know, as your own business without investors, whatever path you take, that's the partner that you choose, right? So you're going to have to weather all the things together. But yeah, I mean, we had very hard moments like screaming matches, alone in front of the team, you know, like disagreements, just really lots of differences of opinion, right? Like you imagine it probably happens, like many differences of opinions. It's funny because I tell people like, we're very, very complimentary as business partners. Like the skills that I have and the skills that he have are really different and really complimentary. But coming from different backgrounds, you know, communication is very challenging at times. 
because we're so different. And business is hard when things aren't working and you're not making money and you have to pay people and pay the bills and think about, do I pay for that extra, you know, do we develop that extra product that we have to produce 3000 units of or not because of money? Everyone's going to argue. Of course, you're going to argue, you know, and you have different approaches. Like, how would you do it? How would I do it? It's probably pretty rare that people are very, very aligned. It gets easier when the business is successful. That's, you know, like I have to say, like things got a lot easier when the business got much more successful because then, you know, you're not trying to just keep the lights on anymore. It's different. And following a breakup though, like in your personal life, but then also having to face them at work, was there ever a moment where you're like, maybe I should just, you know, get out? You know, was there ever a moment where you guys were thinking that you shouldn't be business partners if you're no longer together? Because that's kind of how you started in the personal sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there were times where like, I mean, there was one time I just left for two days. I was like, I'm just not gonna come to the office. And like, I just left for two days. This is like, a while ago, but it was really, really hard. But I think, you know, we are both so attached to the business because it really is this baby, you know, that we started 10 years ago and every single up and down, every single project that we've done, client that we've worked with, employee that has come and gone or is still here today, he's the only single person in the world that shares exactly the same experience as me, right? So like, through all of this, like every single we can, I mean, every single thing that's happened in this business, he's the only one individual where I can refer to XYZ. And we instantly, you know, that experience that we had, probably that failure, usually it's a failure, that failure that we had, you know, that you just totally, you know, the experience and you know, what you thought about it afterwards. So I think we were both always really, even though we had tough times, there was always, you know, we we're always coming back to the business. So, and we were able to, you know, in the early days, keep the lights on, but then beyond that, like build a foundation where the business, it is something, right? It's not just going to collapse tomorrow. Like it is really something after 10 years to have a thing that is sustainable that we, you know, have managed to build year over year and just see, you know, yeah, I mean, we were able to survive and, and I think there's so many learnings, so, so, so many learnings in 10 years about the broad spectrum of what it is to operate a business and try to make this business successful so that you can, you know, have something that you're proud of and that, you know, sustains you, right? Like that you can live off of. And, you know, we're also just very grateful that, you know, the brand has started to become known. We definitely do more promotional things, you know, and, and speaking things and try to put the brand out there. But yeah, we're very fortunate that 10 years later, we're here. And I would say our relationship, even though there are differences, we trust and respect each other and, you know, really like understand where the other person is coming from. That's really wonderful. I'm not sure I could say I would be able to work with my ex-boyfriend if I had a company with him. Just kidding. You know, it's, it's really says a lot about, you know, the friendship, I'd say now, you know, and yeah. the strength that you guys have in the complementary skill sets that you guys stuck it out to keep the business together and grow it together. And like you said, you kind of, he's the only person that you have the same experiences with. I've been a solo founder, so I don't even know what it's like to share anything mm. with anybody. Just like flying yeah. solo is... Not fun. So at least you've had someone right. to do this journey with. And, you know, before we start wrapping up, I'd love to hear, you know, have you done any fundraising? If you have, how much have you raised? And what have been some of the challenges around the fundraising process? Or what's your experience been like? So we've never raised any money. We have been bootstrapped since day one. We also have been profitable during all these years because we weren't answering to investors and we weren't, you know, necessarily when we started the business, we weren't looking for an exit. Like we didn't even know what that meant, you know, back in 2013. It was a very different time versus, you know, even a few years ago when someone starts a beauty brand. We just thought, okay, let's take this step. And it eventually became a business and a brand. So we never raised money. We never considered it. But now we are trying to think about what is our next step, because I think to compete today, especially post iOS, but in general, to compete in 
beauty in 2023 and the type of environment you're looking at. I mean, not just the macroeconomic environment, but the environment that you're looking at in terms of, you know, the space, the category, you know, what you need, you need to be omni-channel. You need to, you know, be working with all these different retailers that are the right partners for you and still lift up your D2C and really invest into marketing, like make sure you're not underspending on marketing. And that's hard to take that step, you know, when it's your own money and trying not to have failures, right? So I would say that now we are trying to see what is that next step. We're kind of discussing internally what we have to do, what it could look like in the next couple of years. But we want to do things at a different scale. I think we have a lot of very interesting ideas on how to grow this business. And it takes money, you know, and certainly a lot of our, not just competitors, but people in the beauty space, a lot of brands are funded. And so purely with that, you can spend a lot more marketing, especially upper funnel marketing. You can afford just, you know, many more senior people on the team, you know, talent and then inventory, right? Like, I think those are the three things that you need money for, right? Marketing, team and inventory. So yeah, definitely making sure you can scale on all three aspects to be able to do business at a different level. So we are thinking about that now and really starting to explore. But yeah, maybe if you ask me in like six to 12 months, I'll have a different (laughs) answer. Absolutely. (laughs) An updated answer. So what's the grand vision, I guess, for the business? What's next? And what's some final advice you have for aspiring entrepreneurs tuning in, thinking about building their own brand or company? So we are just really getting started, I would say, in the US. We are in Target. There are other you know, partners that we want to be developing. We do have other partners, but I would say on a larger scale, there's other partners we want to develop on a wider basis. Our D2C is doing well, so we want to keep growing that. And I would say there's still a lot we can do in the U.S. business. And also just more fun partnerships. We do a lot of product development, but in terms of collabs and things like that, like just fun partnerships, events, things that generate excitement for our community, we definitely want to be doing a lot more of that. And then international, you know, we're in Europe. We have a pretty healthy business here, but we definitely want to scale that business. The market looks really different versus the U.S. And so we are looking at how do we grow the business in Europe? And then, yeah, there's other channels we want to develop. We do a ton of NPD product development. So just really expanding in NPD. I mean, gel is our core, gel polish, gel shades is our core. And we'll always have, you know, the fun color collections that we're launching, but really looking at some other types of products, you know, around nail and hands and feet and really being able to play, you know, to bring our consumer that full spectrum of things you need at home. Awesome. And advice you have for aspiring entrepreneurs or listeners that are building their business right now? Yeah, I always say learn and grow. That's my mantra. Learn and grow is the more you learn. And really, I think talking to other founders has been just phenomenal for me, building up a network of founder friends. Because you really hear their experiences. And then, you know, a lot of people in the beauty space, we're all selling, you know, with the same retailers. We're all facing the same challenges, whether it's with Meta or the talent pool, you know, staffing situation right now, you know, the trends that are happening in the market. So it's really a good supportive network. I know, Lee, you mentioned you're a solo founder. So I think that network is just amazing to be able to have that support when you don't have a co founder. Yeah. A hundred percent. Part of the reason I started this show was like, I want to talk to other founders. I want everybody to hear each other's stories. Everybody has such different backgrounds and, you know, ways, journeys into how they built their business and the challenges and experiences they've had along the way. It makes you feel, you know, I think a little bit better about things that happen that you're like, oh my gosh, this is such a crazy situation. Oh my, why do I keep getting smacked in the face with these issues? Right. But then you hear someone else's story and they're like, oh, they're getting smacked around too. It's fine. Uh, it just makes you feel a little <laughs> it's better. It's not so bad. You're not alone. Yes. Yeah. You're not alone. Absolutely. Better said. You're just not alone. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Well, Christina, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Super excited. Thanks so much for sharing your story and looking forward to keeping in touch. Thank you so much, Lee. I'm so excited to have met you and thank you for the chat. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.